Last week, uh, I had intended to go through all of, uh, of verses, uh, or all of chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. That didn't work out, uh, you may have noticed. And, uh, uh, but this week is really, cannot be separated from last week, uh, and all that we talked about last week. It, we have to keep these things together. And so, it's, it's easy when we come week to week to week to week to week, um, to maybe break up sermons and, and this is kind of standalone and this is standalone. And there's truths in all of them that stand alone, but it's, it all has to be tied together. And so uh, we don't want to leave behind what we talked about last week. Um, and you'll see how much it ties into this week. But I wanted to mention kind of coming into it, coming off of last week and coming into what we're going to talk about this week, which is, is very exciting and, and I can't wait um, for what we're going to talk about today. But uh, maybe you saw on on uh, the internet yesterday or in the news yesterday. There's a there's an artist named Amy Winehouse, and she died at 28 years old, which is tragic and um, sad. And and this what I'm about to say is not about her. Uh, I don't um, in this time want to disrespect her at all. I just hopped on Facebook last night though, and as I was looking down through, I see these comments about her. Her, her life was a troubled life um, from what I know. I wasn't friends with her. I didn't hang out with her, so I don't know into her life. But as I, as I read through Facebook posts, I kept, like, I saw some witty, jokey comments about it. Um, and then I came across this one that said this, she's better off now. Now, here's the thing. I didn't see a single post about her from any person that I know as an unbeliever and would tell you, I just don't believe. All of the posts were from proclaimed believers. And someone who says, I believe the gospel, no one here, by the way, don't look around, said, she's better off now. Circumstances are better for her now than they were here. I remember seeing uh, when, when, when other artists have died and, 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 and believers who will make just three letters, R.I.P., rest in peace. Believers. And my heart, when I see that, just aches because the only thing I think is, and again, this, has, this is not about Amy Winehouse. This is about us as believers. Do we or do we not believe the truth of the gospel? If we do, then our only response can be brokenheartedness. That's all we can, we can't, we can't say rest in peace. We can't say you're better off now. Things are better for you now. This is better that you're not here anymore. It's not better. It's not better. And the only, the reason I say that is this. Do we really think that the, the summary of Christ coming, what we just remembered, What we just remembered, that the sum of all of that, that Jesus came and he lived on this earth and they took his body and mutilated it, nailed it to a cross. And while he was on the cross, God poured his wrath out on him for nothing. For nothing? So that it doesn't matter that it's even for the unbeliever, that it's, that it's better that they die? 
do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe it so much that, it, that there's actually implications for how I live and how I talk and, and how, I, how I deal with the world, how I deal with my home and how I deal with, with my neighbors and how I deal with everything, that there's implications of the gospel. We're lost. We're hopelessly lost. In the midst of this dark and lost world, God had mercy and stepped in and gave his son so that if anyone would believe in him, they would not perish but have everlasting life. Do I really believe that? If I believe that, there's implications. I can't live the same way I've always lived. I can't have the same kind of... I can't respond to death the same way I responded before. And I can't respond to life the way that I responded before. If I'm living around someone who doesn't know Christ, there's implications there. That if they don't ever find Christ, they're lost forever. And that's what last week was about. God's wrath and the day of the Lord that, Jesus, that, that God says is coming. Behold, the day is coming and it's burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. We're going to pick up in verse 4. Let's stand together as, as I read Malachi 4, 4 through 6. It says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is truth. Thank you for giving it to us, Lord. Your word is truth. My word is not truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, you said without you, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we need you this morning. I need you right now. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would help us to hear from your word, God, and to be listeners to it and to be obedient to it, to love it, to treasure it, and to treasure you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, we come off of last week that was about the, the day of the Lord, which is burning and coming and to set them ablaze. And it's, um, it's heavy. It's, it's, it's a heavy passage. And then we get to verse 4, and there's, there's this turn where he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Remember the law of my servant Moses. They hadn't done that. We have Malachi 1, 2, and 3 because they hadn't remembered the law of Moses. The Israelites had forgotten God. They didn't fear God. They didn't obey Him. They didn't trust Him. They didn't remember Him. And that what he is saying through Malachi here is remember, remember the law of my servant 
Moses. In the book of Deuteronomy, when the law is being given, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, It says, only take care, take care, and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. If they just would have remembered, if they would have remembered the law of Moses, just like the Lord is speaking here through Moses in Deuteronomy 4, if they would have remembered, they would have learned to fear the Lord. If they would have listened and remembered the law that he had given, they would have feared him. And and we've seen through the book of Malachi, that's the issue. They don't fear God. God says to them, you don't fear. And we see the implications of that and how they respond to him and how they're cynical against him. They don't fear the Lord. They would have if they would remember. The Lord says to them, them, remember the law of Moses. Remember the law that I have given you. Their hearts should have been like the psalmist in Psalm 119. We could read the whole thing and and affirm uh, what the Lord is saying here in Malachi, but just a, a handful of verses. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I'll delight in your law. I'll delight in your statutes. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I cling to them. I delight in them. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Apart from you, I can do nothing. So draw me and help my heart to be inclined to them. Help my heart to long for them. Help my heart to want to remember them. Verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. You see the difference between Malachi and the psalmist who writes in Psalm 119? I love your law. I love your decrees. I delight. They are my delight. I treasure them. I long for them. I crave them. Help me incline my heart, Lord, to them. They didn't remember. God says, remember them. Remember the law of my servant Moses. And they didn't. What about for us, those of us who are in Christ? Are we still under the law? Are we under the law then? Is this this message for us? Remember the law of my servant Moses? Are we under the law? No, we're not under the law. You can read Galatians and and know we're not under the law. But Paul refers to in Romans 7 our need to remember the law of Moses. Go to Romans 7 for a minute. Starting with verse 7. Romans 7, 7. I'm going to go through verse 12. 
What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. What's he saying here? We'll we'll move on in a second. What's he saying here? Without the law, without God's law given to us, I wouldn't even know what sin is. It's like the um, analogy of the wet paint sign, right? You show a kid a wet paint sign, walk away, what are they going to do? Right? Don't touch wet paint. Yeah, wet paint. Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, the law is there to show us we can't not do what we're told not to do, and we can't do what we're told to do. So when he says to us, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, what the law does is reveals to us, you can't do that yourself. You got a big, big problem. You can't. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And what we realize is, like Paul's saying here, hey, don't, don't covet what your neighbor has. Why wouldn't if he didn't have such nice stuff, right? What the law does for us, like Paul's saying here, is it reveals in us our need. It shows me that you can't do this. It reveals my sin and shows me you need someone. You need help. Because on my own, I fail every time. Every time. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. He goes on in verse 9 of Romans 7. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Do we need to remember the law of Moses? We do need to remember and think back to the law. Why? Because it reminds us, apart from Christ, we're nothing. And it reminds us of all that we do have in Christ. Apart from Christ, I can't fulfill the law. But what I learned from Christ and from all that he accomplished is he fulfilled it for me. That's what he says in Matthew 5, 17. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And so Christ comes and does what I can't do. I can't I can't fulfill any of the laws. When I try, I fail, I fail, I fail. And then Christ comes and lives this perfect life hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every single way yet without sin and he comes and lives this life that i can't live perfect and so just like we see in romans 7 
The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And for someone to be able to live it, they must be holy and righteous and good. And Christ is that. And so we ought to remember, we ought to think, we ought to realize all that we have in Christ. He alone is our righteousness. Apart from him, we are nothing. We are wicked. We are corrupt. We are horrible sinners. But in Christ, we are new because of him and because of what he accomplished in his life and through the cross and through the grave. Looking back is crucial for us so that we see all that we have in Christ. We see the need that we have for Christ and see Christ as the fulfillment of all that we couldn't do. He goes on in Malachi chapter 4. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, last week we talked about the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he says, before that comes, before the day comes that is burning like an oven, before the day comes when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubbled, before the day comes that is coming and shall set them ablaze, before that takes place, I will send you Elijah. I'll send you Elijah the prophet. This is mercy. And we we think about the horrors of the day of the coming of the Lord. And the fear that will be in so many hearts and on so many faces as they stand before the Lord. This is mercy. In the midst of talking about the great and awesome. And remember I mentioned last week the, that, that word awesome is, is terrible. The great and terrible day of the Lord. In the midst of all that, this is Mercy, I will send someone before. I will send a messenger of mercy before destruction. God gives warnings. He gives invitations before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's mercy. That's just God's mercy. He precedes the wrath of his judgment with the call of his mercy. We can't miss that. And we can't miss the fact that this is his nature. That's who God is. He's slow to anger. So many verses we could turn to to say this same thing. But, but Psalm 86. Verse 15. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is a merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This verse here in Malachi is just a picture of his nature. He sends messengers of mercy before the day of destruction. I'll send you Elijah, the prophet. That's just his nature. It's his character. You think back through the scriptures with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he sent someone, an an angel, a messenger of mercy beforehand to warn. And even not all of Lot's family left with him. You think of Nineveh and how he sent Jonah beforehand to warn them. Repent. 
mercy. What did they do? They repented. Think of John the Baptist. You think of our time that we're in right now. This is mercy. It's mercy. God is patient. He's patient with us. He's merciful. He says the day's coming. The day's coming, and it's burning like an oven. But I'm merciful, and I'll send Elijah the prophet beforehand, a messenger of mercy. I will send you Elijah. Second Peter talks about his patience in chapter 3. We looked at chapter 3 starting with verse 11 last week. If we jump up before that to verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Lord is patient towards you. Patient towards you. If you go to the book of Romans, chapter 2. In verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The Lord is merciful. He's compassionate. He is patient with us. And His kindness is there to lead us to repentance. And what He says here in Malachi is, I'll send a messenger of that mercy, of that patience, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Matthew 11, Jesus refers to this passage and tells us who that Elijah is to come. It says in eleven Matthew 11, verse 10, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the Elijah who was to come that's prophesied here in Malachi chapter 4. John was not Elijah reincarnated. He came in the spirit and power, Jesus teaches, of Elijah. And he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. 
He was the messenger of mercy. Jesus says, if you can accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who's to come. He says, I will send him, I'll send him, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And we're going to get back to John the Baptist coming as Elijah in just a minute. But I want to refer to the book of Joel. You go backwards, a few small books. It talks about, like we referred to last week, the great and awesome day of the Lord. Gives us a picture, a small picture of what that will be like. verse 30, it says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. There's the picture that we've had from last week. He's referring to here. Look at verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. This is exactly what is quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. When they don't know what's going on and they think they're drunk and Peter gets up and talks to them, this, everything I just read is the passage that Peter quotes from Joel. So he's referring to the day of the Lord. And he, at that point, from then on, we have this anticipation from then forward of these things taking place. He affirms everything that was said in the Old Testament. There's a day coming. The day of the Lord, the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming. But there is mercy for those who call on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's an anticipation from that moment forward that it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And right now we are in a time of mercy and grace. God is saving. He's rescuing. He's turning hearts to himself. Verse 6 refers to that. He says, and he will turn the hearts. Speaking of Elijah, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John the Baptist will come as Elijah in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the way for the Lord. And we have this season as he's prepared the way. And as I'm talking about this, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We have this season of grace and mercy, of invitation. God says, I will send Elijah before the great and awesome day. That's mercy. So heed his warnings is what he's saying. But it tells us in Luke chapter 1 as it's prophesying the coming of John the Baptist. What we see in Malachi chapter 4. Look at verses uh, 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
the Elijah to come, John the Baptist comes to prepare a people. He comes to make ready a people so that when the day of the Lord comes and when Christ returns, there are people prepared for him. That's mercy. Here's, here's the thing. So many believers struggle with what we talked about last week with the day of the Lord and his wrath. I don't, I'll just be honest, I don't get that. I don't struggle with that. At all. I don't struggle with a holy God being just. That, 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 just, that doesn't do anything but make sense to me. It just, I, all I can think is that seems right. That a holy God would be just. That, that seems right. But merciful? That a holy God who's righteous in all of his ways set apart in all of his ways would be merciful and would say to you and to me, I will send someone. I'll send a messenger and everyone who calls on my name, everyone who comes to me, I'll save them. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't get that. I love that about the Lord. But I don't understand it. I don't get it. Just, I understand. I get that. I don't understand how he could be so loving, how he could be so merciful. He says he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah in Luke 1, still 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children that are disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared He'll turn many children of Israel to the Lord. It's just a picture of what needs to take place. God's aim and desire is to spare people. Remember in in Malachi 3, when he talked about those who fear him, they shall be mine in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. God's aim is to spare people people and so to be spared their hearts must be turned their hearts must be changed completely changed and only god can do that but he does that he changes hearts so it says that john the baptist will come as a fulfillment to this prophecy in malachi to turn many children of israel to the lord to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to their fathers, which is a calling for obedience. Whatever your age, wherever you're at, young, old, you need to turn to the Lord and obey Him. Turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. God will change hearts and John will come to prepare, to make ready for the Lord, a people prepared for him. How did he do that? How did, how did John the Baptist do that? What did he do when he came to prepare the way for the Lord and to make ready a people prepared for him? He preached, repent, right? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn, turn to God. You see that in Matthew chapter 3. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And we see later on how he literally was used to prepare a people for Jesus. You remember in the book of Acts, and if you were here when we went through the book of Acts, you remember in the book of Acts, in Acts 18 and 19, and we come across these people who have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. They haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They've only been baptized in the baptism of who? John. They had been prepared for Christ. They had been disciples of, Christ, of, of John the Baptist being prepared to be saved, ready to be saved. And then Paul prays with them and for them, and they believe and they're filled with the Spirit. And it's this beautiful picture, really, of fulfillment of what we see here. He literally prepared a people for Jesus. Why? Because hearts need to be turned. Hearts need to repent. Hearts need to fear God. Hearts need to trust in the Lord. Only God can change hearts. So how are hearts turned? How are hearts spared? Through Jesus. John says in John chapter 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For John, it was always about Jesus. When the people come to John in John chapter 3, when they come to John the Baptist in John chapter 3, and they say, look what's going on. I mean, look across the, 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 the water here. Look what's going on. All these people are coming to Jesus now, and no one's coming to you now, John. What do you think about that? What's his response? It's not about me. It was never about me. I've just come to prepare people for him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John came to prepare to point to Jesus so that we would be pointed to Christ. Because only through Christ can we be spared. Only through Christ can we be saved. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of other, other destruction. If we read all of this in chapter four in context, it just ends with this picture of mercy. It's just mercy. It's going to be bad. The day of the Lord is going to be great and terrible. And, and just like we talked about from the book of Amos chapter 5, if, if you don't fear the Lord, then we need to heed the words of Amos. Woe to you who long for his coming. If you don't fear him, then, then yes, woe to you. And, and, and you need what, he, what, what Elijah the prophet came to point to. You need Christ. You need Jesus. You need to turn. You need to heed the words of John the Baptist. Repent. You need Christ, because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is the only way that we can be spared from the coming day. And that's the point of verses 5 and 6, is that God is saying, it's going to be bad, but I'm merciful. I'm merciful. I'm merciful. I want to... um, encourage and caution us um, because much of the teaching on the day of the Lord which has to do with God's wrath and the outpouring of his wrath which refers to hell and eternity in hell 
much of the teaching that's done in the scriptures on that is, is to people who would be here this morning, who would be in church. It's not, it's not teaching that go, that, that, that's only taken out and you don't believe in Christ, well, you're going to burn. You're going to go to hell. It's to us. It's to us that we would respond to it. When we finished last week, we, we read through two passages, 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. I'm going to read that for us again. But it's for this reason that we have these passages on the day of the Lord, that we would, would heed the words of Amos and that we would evaluate and examine our hearts. Do I fear the Lord? Do I love Him? Do I trust in Christ alone? Have I come to Him and Him alone? I'm not, I'm not trying to fulfill the law myself. I know there is one who has fulfilled it and he gave his life so that I could be spared. Have I come to Christ and believed in Christ? If not, then I need, I need to fear that day and repent and turn to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness. But I want to turn and, and I'm going to ask you to turn there because I'm going to have you be there for a minute. To read again in 2 Peter, how do we respond to these things? Both. How do we respond to the terrors of the great and terrible day of the Lord and His mercy that is revealed in the midst of it? How do we respond to that as people? How does it affect how we respond and make comments about people who are lost and die? How do we respond to those who are still alive who don't know Christ? How do we respond and I think Peter helps us. And let me just encourage, before I read it, um, it would be so good for us, for you, for me, if we would just think about the gospel. We've said this before. It's not past tense. The gospel's not past tense is now you need to preach the gospel to yourself every single day the gospel keeps me living for the glory of god it keeps me doing what only christ can do through me it would be good to think about this because if if we're not literally like i mentioned at the beginning are we really thinking what are the implications of the gospel in my life what are the implications of the day of the Lord in my life? What are the implications of the fact that I'm spared? I'm saved. I've, I've been forgiven. I don't, I don't have to be apart from God ever. From this day forward, I have fellowship with the Lord. At some point, it's going to get way, way, way better. What are the implications of that now? How do I live now? How do I live with my children and with my spouse and with my neighbors? It would be good for you to just think about those things. Not even for me to tell you those things, but for you to think about those things. What are the implications? And do I really believe the things that I nod to? Do I really believe there's a heaven that I get to be in forever? Do I really believe there's a hell that people are literally going to? 
And that a million years down the line, as we're singing praises to God, they'll still be suffering just as badly. Do I really believe that? If I do, there's implications to how I live right now. I can't overlook those things. I can't look past people. I can't assume that my nervousness is more important than their eternity. So just look at 2 Peter chapter 3. I just want to spend, as we're finishing up this book of Malachi, some time thinking and praying. I'm going to read through it, mention a couple things, and just pray. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him, without spot or blemish and a peace. Peter's saying if these are things are true, and the way he says it is, these things are true, therefore, how should we live? What sort of people ought we to be? I'm just going to have us just pray. I'm not going to lead us in prayer at this point. Just pray and just think through this passage. What does Peter say here in light of In light of Malachi, in light of all that we see in these people who have become cynical towards God because they don't truly fear Him and they want what they want and not what He wants, and what He says to them about the day of the Lord and about His mercy, what kind of people ought we to be? And thinking through what Peter says here, are we living lives of holiness and godliness? Are we waiting, hastening the coming day of God? Are we diligent to be found without spot or blemish? Are we at peace? Just take a moment and search. Have the Lord and search your heart. And if you need to repent, do that. But pray and ask for His help in this.